I praise God by trying to remember what he's done for me and what he wants for me basically everywhere I go. For whether I'm at Calvary Church or Taco Bell, to carry myself like someone who's been made anew in Christ and to look for opportunities to share the good news with others. Hannah, how do you praise God? I praise God by praying at night. Awesome. I uh, praise Him in private time, in spirit, and when I do that, I feel an expression when I praise God that comes down and it's just a precious time with the Lord. I praise God by praying and singing songs and being kind to others. I I love these videos because it's so fun to get to see adults and kids by each other. And as we anticipate, sort of, you know, as we look forward to January when we're going to come together, all generations in our worship service praising God together, we get this is like a little glimpse of that, of getting to see these two generations of different backgrounds, different preferences, different styles, all these things together side by side, and how they praise God. Um, it's an honor to get to share with you a bit this morning and to be a part of this series. Um, would you imagine with me for a second that I had a need to print out my email? That would be a weird need, right? Like I'm going to print out all my email to read it. And maybe I was carrying it in my backpack and one of the papers fell out of the backpack. Time for a new backpack, I know. But you, ca you came across it and found it. But on that piece of paper, there was only the end of a thread of an email conversation. So I'm going to read you an email that I got a couple weeks ago, and this is what you found on the, on the ground. Hi, Mr. Bush. We have availability on October 14th, 10.20 to 11.15, or 1.20 to 2.40. If you were available for the later time, that would be preferred. We do have Art Vista scheduled for the early morning before recess. Please let me know. Thanks. So you're reading this, and you might have some questions, because you know that it's addressed to me but it's written to Mr. Bush. So you're like, is that to his dad or his grandpa? Or is that to him? I don't, I don't know. Um, are they trying to schedule something? What are they trying to schedule? Some of you might know what art vistas are. And, and just because we said recess, that gives you a clue that we might be talking about school. See, context is the key to understanding. And when we only read the response to something, we have some work to do to understand the whole conversation. So I won't leave you hanging. This email is from my son's second grade teacher. We, uh, I'm gonna be reading in his class once a month, and it, actually I went on Friday to do it, but this was the end of the email thread of us trying to find that first time where I could come in and read to the kids. It's an awesome time, I love it. Um, Art Vistas is a program that our school district does where you know, volunteers will come in and teach about a famous artist, and the kids will reproduce one of their famous works, like Monet's Lilies or something like that. Um, and uh, I also asked her to just call me Danny from now on. So, uh, but when we're reading the Bible, we have similar work to do, especially when we're in the, in the letters section. And that's where we are. We're using uh, Philippians 1 as our guide as we look at what it means to be together. And so just, just really quick, Dale already talked about this the first week, but just to remind us, Philippians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. He's in a Roman jail uh, where he is wrongfully imprisoned. And he's writing to this church that he planted and released in Philippi. Um, and as Dale said on week one, it's so important to remember this, that we see this as written to a specific group of people at a specific time, and the truths are still transferable to us. And so it's important that we do our best to understand what the original audience would have heard. 
So in our first week, Dale focused on the words, God's holy people. And we saw that we, are, we who are in Christ Jesus are set apart and dedicated for a purpose to God. Last week, we narrowed in on these words, grace and peace. It's more than just a greeting to a group of people, but it's the direction of the kingdom. And today we're going to jump in to verse four and a half and five. And we're going to say, and we're looking at this verse. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And we're going to get really specific and we're going to look at this word partnership. Now, if you look up the word partnership in our dictionary, you'll find something like this. A person or group that takes part with another or others in doing something. So if we put that into the verse, I always pray with joy because of our doing stuff together in the gospel. Like that sounds good and worth celebrating and praying with joy for, um, but there's more. And so I'm so grateful, I'm so, so grateful that we have the Bible in our language. I can go out in the lobby, grab a Bible, and I can look through it. It's amazing. And not everyone has that. Like McKenna was just saying, one of, the, one of the global staff that you can learn about when you sign up for the Global Connect emails is somebody who's working on a translation for a specific group of people who doesn't have the Bible in their language yet. And actually, McKenna and I enjoy, uh, several years ago, got to go see them and the work that they do. And the Bible translation process is painstaking work. It is so difficult. And the reason it is is because translators are taking an ancient language written to an ancient people in an ancient culture and trying to make it relatable and understandable to a modern reader of a different language, all while staying true to the original text. It's a hard thing to do. And they do an amazing job, so I, I don't hear me say anything else. They do an amazing job, but they're also particularly in English uh, limited by our language, because our words don't necessarily capture the richness of the original text. And so you can probably guess that this is one of those cases. So the original word partnership used here is the word koinonia. And if you've been around church for a while, you know that we like this word. We name coffee houses after it. We name conference centers after it. There's all sorts of things that are named after koinonia. And for good reason, it's, it is roughly translated the idea of fellowship. But let's look at this definition of koinonia. It's a uniquely Christian term that means intimate bond that unites followers of Jesus, sharing everything in common as the basis for developing community. So let's put that in our verse. I always pray with joy because of the intimate bond that unites followers of Jesus, sharing everything in common as the basis for developing community in the gospel. That's really, really different than doing stuff together, right? So when we talk about being together, that's what this series is about. When we talk about being together, and now we're talking about us as a church, we're not talking about the absence of conflict or just simply doing Christian stuff together. We're talking about being intimately united as followers of Jesus, rooted in God's word, aligned by the Holy Spirit, sharing with each other, which creates an unbreakable trust and a kingdom investment among us. Easy, right? It's actually impossible. <laughs> it's impossible and it's totally doable, which sounds like a big problem, but, I'm, but it's in the Bible, it's here. Like a group of Christians did this. And I believe it's here because to show us that we can do it. And I believe, we believe that it's what Jesus intended for the church that he's building. And so today we're gonna to look at the single most obstructive barrier to partnership like this, and then the way through it. We're gonna talk about the power needed for this type of partnership. And then lastly, we'll close with some of the tangible evidence of a partnership like this. 
So the barrier to partnership. Uh, partnership, even by the, dic the dictionary definition, is hard to do. Uh, it's said that there's about six to seven independent musical artists for every band, and every band, or 90% of bands break up. It's kind of depressing. Um, almost 50% of first marriages in America fail. Over 70% of business partnerships fail. And all of these partnerships are only between a few people, right? And two in the case of marriage. And so when we're saying that we want to develop a partnership of our entire church, of hundreds of people, it's a big challenge and it would appear that the numbers are against us. So why are partnerships so difficult? If we go back to the beginning of the Bible, chapter three, it, uh, you'll see where Eve gets tempted by the snake. And we always go back to the beginning because that's where you start stories, right? Um, but Eve gets tempted by the snake. And, and the snake says to her, he says, you, you, God didn't say you can't eat the fruit. You can be like God. You can know what God knows. You don't need the creator. You can be your own creator. And so maybe you've heard it said that individualism is one of the, the core markers or one of the defining characteristics of the culture that we live in. And I believe this is where it started, right here on the first pages of scripture. If you fast forward to the late Middle Ages when philosophy was on the rise and, and people were dreaming of better days to come, many of those writings and speeches would become the foundation for the modern way of thinking, which we are at an extreme end now. But what came of that age is the idea that sociologist Robert Bella summarizes as expressive individualism. And that's this, it holds that each person has a unique core of feeling and intuition that should unfold or be expressed if individuality is to be realized. Another way to say it, and this is from the Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor, he says this, each of us has his or her own way of realizing our humanity, and that is important to find and live out one's own as against surrendering to conformity with a model imposed on us from outside by society or the previous generation or religious or political authority. I had to read this like 10 times, so I'm, I'm just gonna try and summarize it for you. But essentially, express your feeling and intuition and ignore external input. Like that is, that is the most boiled down we can get to the, like the thought process of post-truth modern thought, right? You might think it sounds good. Like, I don't know, you might think it sounds good. You might be offended at that. I don't know where, where you would land on what you feel about those, those definitions. Maybe you're thinking of a younger generation or, or a past generation or whatever, but the reality is that individualism is a part of what we all experience. And individualism is the single most obstructive barrier to a partnership like Paul talks about because with individualism, the self always takes priority. So some examples, individualism says, individualism says, this is difficult, it's time to run. But partnership says, this is challenging, I'm gonna dig in with you. Individualism says, you insulted me, we can no longer be in relationship. But partnership says, you hurt me, let's work and heal this together. Individualism says, you made a different decision than I would have, uh, I can't trust you anymore. But partnership says, we see this differently, can you help me understand your side of this? Individualism says, I'm entitled to what I want, so I feel secure. Partnership would say, what do you need to feel secure? Paul lays it out like this. There's one body, but it has many parts, but all its many parts make up one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. That's individualism. There should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. 
If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. That's partnership. So we could talk about, we could talk at length about the implications of individualism. It goes very deep. But I find Tim Keller's summary of this brilliant and super, super helpful. Tim Keller's my guy. Um, and it comes out in almost everything that he writes. So if you read it, you're gonna read about our culture. Uh, but one of the things that he does, if you want a crash course in this, which I would highly recommend, he, he wrote an essay called How to Reach the West Again. He also recorded it as a podcast if you prefer to listen. It is super, super helpful as a summary of the culture that we find ourselves in. So again, the problem with individualism is it's the foundation that allows authority to be attributed to each individual's internal voice. And the problem with that is that all of the internal voices then carry with them the expectation that every other individual celebrate that authority. But unfortunately, when we play that out to the full extent to embrace the truth as defined by another individual, it breaks down really quickly. I can't do that for you, you can't do that for me, we just can't do that for each other. So where individualism is somewhat embraced, partnership is impossible. But there is a way through the barrier and that makes par partnership doable. So let's talk about that for a couple of minutes. Carl Truman, author of The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, talks about this idea of a sacred order. And essentially that morality is authoritative because it comes from somewhere outside of ourselves. So if individualism broadly says that truth comes from the heart, sacred order says that truth comes from the authority of a higher being. Sacred order can be found in a lot of ways. It's found in most religions. If you've seen the movie 300 telling the story of Sparta versus Babylonian Empire, it's the battle. Like even ancient Sparta believed that their laws came from the oracle. And that was reason enough for them to, to accept those laws as morality. So essentially the acknowledgement of morality coming from outside myself is reason enough to accept that morality and inherently pushes against truth being individualistic. Now this gets tricky because there are a lot of sacred orders that we could align to. For example, the traditional view, which many cultures still embrace, is that authority comes from community, or sacred order comes from community. This would be like friends or family, it would be past generations, those types of things. But ultimately those communities are made up of individuals, and if one of those individuals or one of those community structures fail, or worse, cause you shame, the traditional view becomes oppressive or it causes an identity crisis. The modern view is to look to ourself for truth, but the authoritative sacred order of self is based on achievement and success and performance. And as you know, addressing and assessing achievement, performance, and success is really hard to do without the input of others. And so the authoritative sacred order of self becomes very shifting and it becomes very tricky to follow and it usually leads to insecurity and also identity crisis. And there's another option though, and this is the Christian biblical view to not look outward to community or inward to self, but as Tim Keller says, to look upward. And so this is the way through individualism. When a group of individuals can align on the practice of looking to God as our truth, as our sacred order, as our foundation, that is where the power to partner is rooted. And so when we look to the Bible as a story about God, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And this sets the foundation for everything else in the sacred order. 
So as creator of something, you have the right to create the rules for it, right? I think of somebody who's writing software or code. Um, I was writing this message in Microsoft Word, and I'm bound by the sacred order of the engineers who wrote the code for Microsoft Word, right? So if I say to myself, I'm writing this thing, but now I want to use Microsoft Word to edit this video, and I try to do that, that's going to be incredibly frustrating because Microsoft Word does not do that, right? The sacred order of the coders, of the engineers who wrote Microsoft Word, did not set up rules that allow for Microsoft Word to edit video, right? So God, the creator of the universe, has the authority to establish morality for his creation. And even in the garden, we see this in his perfected design. Genesis 2.17 says, But the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. So if we can agree that God is creator, that he has the authority to establish the morality for his creation, then as children of God and his creation, then we look to him as the one who establishes our sacred order and our alignment comes out of that. That is the foundational truth. Does this make sense? So individualism is the barrier to partnership. Aligning on a sacred order that is, that is outside of ourselves is the way through it. So when we look for truth, we don't look for truth as defined by others. We don't look to the community to define truth. We don't look to ourselves to define truth. What we can align on is the Bible, the revelation of God who is truth. And the amazing thing about the Bible, here's just a quick overview of the story. The entire Old Testament is about a people who fail to live up to this morality and God over and over and over again making, it a, way, making a way possible for him to still dwell with them. And when they ultimately fail at their side of the responsibility to uphold that relationship, he doubles down and he sends his only son, Jesus, who doesn't just talk about the authority and sacred order we are to live under, he does it. He lives the perfect life that we're supposed to live. But not only does he live the life we're supposed to live, he takes the punishment that we deserve, fulfilling that we can receive the restoration and inheritance we long for. And he doesn't stop there. Jesus says in John chapter 16, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. So the advocate, the Holy Spirit, Jesus sends us the very presence of God to live and dwell within each of us. Not just among us, but within each of us who call Jesus Lord. This is incredible, incredible news. Because the perfect triune God Father, Son, and Spirit, the perfect partnership, the creator of the entire universe, has made a way for his creation to be in relationship with him and to be his representatives to the world around us. This is where the partnership power comes from. It's not from me, it's not from the community, it is from God and God alone that we are able to partner together. Because as individuals, we cannot will a partnership like Paul talks about. But being adopted into God's family, committed to the truth of his word, aligned by and connected to the Holy Spirit, practicing the way of Jesus, we can be united with each other. We can build an unbreakable trust. We can invest in the kingdom for the glory and honor of Jesus. And so if you call Jesus Lord, you have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. It's not just a seal for, for a future uh, glory. It's not just a seal of salvation. He is living and active inside of you. And because this partnership is so difficult, we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to do that, to align us and to give us the power to do that. The Holy Spirit who convicts. Sometimes in a partnership like this, we're gonna need to be pulled back to the truth. We're gonna need to pull back 
to God. The Holy Spirit teaches. We're going to need to continue to learn and grow in what it looks like to follow Jesus well together, how to partner well together. And because this partnership is hard, it's vulnerable, it's messy, we need comfort. And that's one of the things the Holy Spirit does. He comforts us when we need it. And so one of the gifts we can give each other as a church, as we rely on his Holy Spirit, is to encourage one another to actively resist the lure of individualism. Individualism, which actually pulls us apart, and instead point back to the truth of God, which pulls us together. The thing about individualism is we can't avoid it. So it's not if you are lured by individualism, it's how we're lured by individualism. But when we pull back to the simplicity of the truth of God together, we find freedom, we find fellowship, and we find this koinonia that Paul is thanking God for in the Philippian church. So what does this partnership look like in a tangible way? As we talk about being together as a church body, these are some of the things that we want, that we hope to see. As we pray for revival and renewal in our church that goes beyond the walls, these are, this is where it starts. So just for a second, remember that Paul is writing from prison. Right? And in first century Roman jailing ethics, they're in, they're in Rome, I'm, they didn't get like fresh pasta every day. They didn't get like Italian jumpsuits to wear. If you were going to survive in prison, it was because somebody outside of jail was sending support so that you could be fed and clothed and whatever needs you had were met. And so this is the koinonia that Paul is thanking them for. And there's a, there's a couple tangible components that are transferable for us. So this partnership is first, it's sacrificial. This group of people, this church, sacrificially raised money and sent it to Paul to provide food and clothes and, like I said, whatever additional care he needed in jail. If you read in Acts 4, it highlights this idea in the early church that was prevalent, and it said that all believers were, in, were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. So it was sacrificial. One of the examples of this McKenna was just talking about, we partner with 30 people who have sacrificed their lives to go and to minister to people around the world, to share the hope and the love of Jesus. We can learn about that. We can, we can sacrificially partner with them by praying or by going and visiting and helping or by giving to support or whatever that may be. And so we, we encourage you to learn more about what that might be, what your partnership might be in that. What that means for us, we, we share the budget of this place. We share every week. Dale just pray, We prayed together the generosity creed because we believe that sacrificially giving is an expression of our worship to God and it's expression of being together. It's not that one of us is responsible for this, but we are responsible for the ministry and investing in the ministry that God wants to do here. So the partnership is sacrificial. This partnership is also prayerful. Paul models a prayer, prayerful posture in a very dire situation. He's in jail. It's not, not looking good for Paul, but he says he prays with joy. And see, a prayerful partnership is full of hope. And hope because we don't do this life alone. We don't do church alone. We don't do ministry alone. We don't even do it by our own strength. So prayer reminds us that as followers of Jesus, we're not people of despair, but we're people of hope. See, if I look around at the world around me and all I see is the destruction and the chaos, that's like, that's my individual mindset being pushed up against because it's not, as the, not the world as I want to see it. 
because the reality is that this world is headed for restoration. A better Eden is coming, and God will once again physically walk with his people. So we have a choice as people of hope. We can either partner with God in prayerful hope and live faithfully in the time and place we've been placed, or the second option, we can stand off at a distance and condemn the world. But for Christians, the second choice isn't, isn't really an option because if we practice the way of Jesus, we don't condemn others, we bless others. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And we are Christ's ambassadors, we're his representatives, and so we're an extension of that. We, didn't, we aren't here to condemn the world, we're here to bless the world. So this partnership is prayerful. This partnership is also active. The Philippians took it upon themselves to support Paul. They didn't wait for the Ephesian church to go do it. They didn't say, well, the Roman church is closer, they'll take care of it. They just did it. They actively took up this partnership on their own. So certainly one of the ways to actively partner is to, to contribute to the ministries of this church. Like we talked about, that can be financial. It can also be through time. When we took our survey earlier this year, one of the things we learned is that 50% of people who responded aren't currently serving at Calvary Church. So there's an opportunity here to be actively involved in the ministry that is going on within this church. Active partnership like this within a church, by the way, is one of the most effective ways to reach the culture outside the church. In that essay that I mentioned from Tim Keller, he says that um, the best way to reach a post-truth Western culture is to start by showing up where God has placed you, to show up and be a representative of the image of God. And so as followers of Jesus, we should be the best employees, the best parents, the best volunteers, the best coaches, the best citizens, not bragging or touting these things, but just quietly living according to the way of God and then being ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. As followers of Jesus, we sh we're not to be argumentative or combative, but humbly practicing the servant way of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we're not separatists, completely disengaging from the culture, but living in it as blessings to the culture. In John 17, Jesus is praying to the Father, and he's acknowledging being sent into the world. So again, as his representatives, we are also sent we're not just here to endure this life, but we're here to live with a purpose and a calling to bless the world around us. So an overflow of our active partnership in the church is a readiness and preparedness to be an active partner in the world, outside the church. One of the things you'll hear in some evangelical spheres is that we're at a culture war and that we're losing and that it's time that we start fighting back. But Paul says to the Ephesians, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And Jesus says, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. So I believe the way that we engage the culture is by creating a counterculture here, one that's rooted in truth, one that's active koinonia partnership, one rooted in worship of God, rooted in loving community, and rooted in the humble, loving, servant way of Jesus. Lastly, this, this partnership is ongoing. If the Philippians stopped sending support to Paul, I think he probably would have just starved to death. If nobody else is sending stuff, he's going to die in prison. And so it was ongoing that they continued this partnership. And so part of this partnership for us is certainly a commitment to ongoing all the things that we talked about, financial, sacrificial, serving, active, all those things. But in the culture we live in, there's an absolute need 
for an ongoing reminder of the truth, an ongoing commitment to remind each other of the truth. Because we can't escape the reality that we're individuals. We have emotions, we have feelings, we have thoughts, we have wonderings, we have doubts. When these things are rooted in the truth of God, they're beautiful things. It's what makes us who we are. It's, it's, it's how we are created in the image of God. It's how he purposed us to rule alongside him. But the culture, the problem is the culture would say that those thoughts and those feelings and those wonderings and those doubts are your truth, and to deny them would be to deny yourself. And the enemy loves to use this weapon against us. As we saw in Genesis chapter 3, he's been doing it from the beginning. So we can't fight this battle alone. We need each other to remind us of truth. So as we partner together as a church, this can be a place where we bring those emotions and those feelings and those thoughts and those wonderings, and we can rely on each other to recenter on the truth of who God is. We can carry them together. The Psalms are a great example of this. The authors and writers of Psalms, they're expressing all of their feelings. They're taking all of the, the raw emotion here and getting it out, and then they end by recentering on the truth of who God is with things like your steadfast love endures forever. Who can fathom your ways? The Lord is king forever. You are my help and deliverer. The law of the Lord is perfect. So this partnership is sacrificial. It's prayerful. It's active. It's ongoing. Um, Monica and I were on the, like, kind of the recipient end of this, like the Paul side of this when we were foster parents. Um, and if, if you are a foster parent or a resource family or you work with foster kids or you work in social care, bless you, thank you. It is hard, hard work. Um, but when we were fostering, we were incredibly blessed to have a team of people come around us to support us. They brought meals, they did grocery shopping, they went and got diapers for the little kids, they helped with rides, all these things. Amazing, amazing, wonderful people who we still pray with joy because of their partnership. One example is our dear friends Nick and Mackenzie, and I'm not going to look at you. Uh, they were with us in really the thick of things. Like we, if in this analogy of like the Philippian church sending people, like they were that to us in the hardest, some of the hardest moments of those times. They were with us the day we got a call for our first placement and then had to go to the hospital to pick up a two-day-old baby. They were there the day we got the call when she was moved out of our home and they cried with us. They were there for the next two placements every step of the way, praying, sacrificing, investing in our biological kids, caring for our foster placement kids. They cleaned our house, they did our dishes. Nick cleaned up after our dog. They took our foster kids to appointments. They stayed with our foster kids when they weren't allowed to come out of the county with us. And they did it sacrificially, actively, ongoing, for two and a half years, and the crazy thing is we didn't ask them to do any of it. They just showed up. Still can't look at them. They're sitting right there. Uh, the result of partnering like this, this koinonia partnership, certainly is kingdom investment. Every single kid in our home experienced the love of Jesus. Every single kid heard about the hope of Jesus. But this kind of partnership is deeply, deeply, deeply relationship forming. We went into that season as friends, but we have like stayed family because of that. Because koinonia partnership unites believers of all ages, genders, ethnicities, backgrounds, in a way that is lasting beyond situations and circumstances. 
when you have that kind of partnership, you have an unbreakable trust. You can stand side by side and face whatever comes. And if you are a follower of Jesus or you want to become a follower of Jesus, that is the offer that the gospel has for you. It is a uniquely Christian thing. It is a unique thing to followers of Jesus, a partnership like this, that you can be a recipient of that, that you can give that to someone else, and it's this mutual blessing that is unexplainable outside of the Holy Spirit. When we gather here on Sundays, it's more than just singing songs, more than just seeing friends. It is a reflection of this partnership that's going on in homes and neighborhoods and offices and schools, in the kids' building, in the students' building, in the gym during the week. It's a reflection and a reminder of the sacrificial, active, ongoing, prayerful partnership that happens through the Holy Spirit. When we give financially in service, it's a reminder that our sacrificial partnership together is together. It's not one person doing it. We're not waiting for another person to do it, but it is together. We're part of a collective. When we serve, we're actively meeting the need for, a king, for the kingdom together. When we teach, it's celebrating and pulling back to the truth of God and the off- offer of the gospel to, to resist the lure of individualism. When we pray with one another, we're carrying each other's burdens, bringing those challenges before God with and for one another. Again, recentering on the truth of our shared purpose and the truth of God. When we sing either petitions begging for the mercy and deliverance of God or, or praise where we're rightly placing him on the throne, we're actively resisting individualism. We're reminding each other of the truth. When we sing those words, the person next to us hears that. When the person next to us sings, we hear that. We're reminded of the truth. This truth-centered partnership is not just the absence of conflict, but it's the moving forward, side by side, arms linked, eyes on Jesus together. It's an active choice to value unity over division and kingdom values over individual perspectives. I'm going to close our time together by just reading this prayer that we've been reading each week at the end of Philippians 1 that says this. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. It may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. God bless you. We'd love to connect with you in our connect gathering back there if you're new, but be filled with the spirit and know that we are in a partnership together. So bless one another with that. Have a great day.